Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now the Rays are celebrating 20 seasons of baseball. It's opening day as they host the Boston Red Sox today at 4.10 p.m. And we have a real treat because we're joined by the man who's covered all 20 seasons so far, Mark Tompkin, our conversation with the Rays beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times on this opening day edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Before we get started on this very special episode of our podcast, I want to tell you about an offer from Audible.com. Sign up now, you get a free 30-day trial membership. That's a $15 value, and as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com, that's spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com, slash sports day and take advantage of the deal that's audibletrial.com slash sports day for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook so this is a real treat it's uh, our pleasure to welcome in a longtime colleague of mine i sat next to in at the tampa bay times a guy who's covered the race from the beginning mark Tompkins joins us now mark welcome uh, happy to be here rick yeah it's uh, a little bit of a blur by the end of spring training i you always know you've had enough spring training when you can't remember what day of the week it is. And that happened to me about a week and a half ago. So I think I'm <laughs> caught up. I know the Rays open. It's Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, and then off to New York on Sunday. So I got that part figured out. Well, I hope you got your bags packed because that'll come quick, too. It's already been an eventful offseason, I should say. And it, it got even more newsy for you on the eve of opening day. More breaking news for the Rays and not good news. Nathan Eovaldi is headed for arthroscopic surgery. He's got some some floaters, I guess, in his in his right elbow. And uh, the good news is, I guess, Mark, he's not headed for a third Tommy John surgery, but he's going to be out a while. So, with all that they've already had, losing Brent Honeywell and, and Jose De Leon, I mean, how, where does this leave the Rays now? Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a blow. And, and you know, they had already kind of come up with this plan that I know a lot of people uh, had already objected to and voiced their opinion on to go with four starters and. You know, kind of use them over still over five days. They had a lot of off days in the first six weeks of the season, but this further you know wrecks that pretty much because Evaldi was certainly one of those four guys and one of the guys they were counting on. And you know, it was weird. He pitched Monday in Lakeland, and before the game, talking to Kevin Cash, he had actually said that they had been so impressed with how he had pitched, how he had bounced back. You know, they do all kinds of you know arm strength tests and all this stuff on the the days in between starts when they're in the trainer's room for a couple hours in the workout room and. He said they were actually, you know, thinking they might loosen the reins a little bit during the season. They had told him, you know, they were going to be really strict with them, you know, certain pitch counts and certain innings limits. And, and they'd been so impressed they were actually going to loosen those. And he goes out, he throws six innings on Monday in Lakeland. Rick, he was hit 98 several times in that sixth inning. You know, looked perfectly fine. Talked to him afterward, was fine, or, he, or he's a really good actor. But the way I understand it was uh, fine Monday, you know, Tuesday came to the field. The Rays had a game uh, against the Detroit Tigers, you know, just a typical day after, more physical conditioning kind of day. And then Tuesday night at home, started feeling something a little weird and went to uh, the doctor Wednesday morning, went and saw Dr. Coco Eaton, the longtime Rays team orthopedist. And yeah, they found out, you know, it was like you say, it was a little bit of good news that the ligament was intact. The structure of the ligament was fine, but there's something floating around in there and they're going to have to go in and get it. And, you know, six to eight weeks is, is kind of the, 
projection, but that's for a guy who, you know, is a normal elbow, not an elbow with two Tommy Johns already. So right. I think you got to err on the side of caution here. And that's to get back pitching. He's got to make a couple of minor league rehab starts. So I think it's, it's definitely fair to say that this is going to carry into June until you see Nathan Avaldi on the mound. And, you know, by then, who knows how many pitchers the Rays will have gone through. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, they they were going to try, and, and you can uh, address whether this is still the plan, but, you know, with the, the four starters that they plan to go with and then Johnny Holstaff as a fifth-day starter. So now we only know about three of them. Are, are they going to uh, uh, kind of replace him in, in the rotation, so to speak? No, no, they're actually going to get more innovative now. Now they're going to go with a three-man rotation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it, it sounds funny, and I shouldn't laugh because, you know, talking to their people about it today, I mean, this is their life and their career, so, you know, they're, they're serious about this. But at this point, they're not going to name a replacement. I mean, if you go through their schedule, uh, it looks weird. I mean, the opening series, you know, they're playing the Boston Red Sox four games at Tropicana Field, and then they're playing the New York Yankees on you know Monday, the first day, then they're off Tuesday, the rain protection day. But So they play five games right out of the shoot, and they've got TBD, to be determined, listed as the starter for two of those days. And you, you know, normally that wouldn't be the case, obviously, early in the season, but they're going to give it a try. They're going to go with, a, like you say, a Johnny Holstaff, a Benjamin bullpen kind of day. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturday, day three, and they're going to come back and try to do it again on day five, which is the first game in New York. And then because they are they play New York Monday off Tuesday, play Wednesday, off, play Thursday in Boston off Friday, they can actually get through until uh, that Sunday in Chicago when they're going to – or Sunday in Boston, I'm sorry, the last day when they're going to need another starter. And then they can go two more days into Chicago before they need again. So, yeah, they're going to do it three times on that road trip, an eight-game road trip, and do it three times. We'll see how it works. And I think this is the this is what I think the problem's going to be, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but you know these guys are the idea is that they're going to pitch you know two or three innings each, you know forty five to sixty pitches, but they're also going to need a couple of days off to recover in between. And it seems to me that either you're going to have to stay away from those guys totally on the days when Archer, Snell, and Faria pitch, even if they get right. knocked out early, or you're just going to get caught up with these guys. They're going to get too many innings. They're going to be down for a couple of days where they have time to recover, and you're not going to have enough innings to cover and yeah, especially early in the season, you can't just send a guy down because the guys you bring up have to stay down for 10 days. So it's going to get a little tricky, really, right out of the chute. You think they have any seller's remorse right about now with Jake Odorizzi being traded? Jermaine Palacios better be one heck of an unheralded prospect because that's <laughs> the guy they got back for him. And right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it was a fair question to ask before Evaldi got hurt is, it you was know, if in, if you knew, which obviously you wouldn't know, that Brett Honeywell and Jose DeLeon were going to go down. Oh, sure. Would you still have traded Jake Odorizzi for you know pennies on the dollar, essentially in terms of proven talent? You'd think they would say no to that. Now it's it's to me an obvious thing, and the irony being Jake Odorizzi starting today on opening day for the Minnesota Twins. How so about, about that? that? And yeah, yeah, that, that that's there's an asterisk on that because. They have a pitcher, Berrios, who's from Puerto Rico. They're going to Puerto Rico in a couple of weeks. They wanted to make sure he was lined up to pitch there, which was actually a very classy right. gesture by the Twins. But net result, though, bottom line, Jake Lutterizzi starts on opening day, and the Rays have TBD listed twice in the first five games. Well, we know Chris Archer is going to start for the Rays against the Red Sox. We'll talk about that opening series and about the Rays' 2018 team. But before we get to that, uh, Mark, I, I know this is the Rays' 21st season, and you've, you've witnessed – a ton of change during those years, and you did an unbelievable job with the baseball special section, um, which I know you can still read on TampaBay.com, just just kind of going over all the things that have happened in, in the 20 years of the race. And 
you know, when I when I was reading some of that and thinking about it, it's almost been like you've covered two franchises, right? The first half, if you will, under Vince Namoli and that ownership, and then Stuart Sternberg era. Just how different have those two periods been? Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, Rick, and that, that's really a good parallel. It's kind of a good way to put it because there's certainly, you know, there's a little bit of a blur there because Sternberg, you know, actually was working on the purchase in 04, right. uh, closed on it then, you know, then didn't take over till the end of the 05 season. So there were a few things that happened in 04 and 05 that, you know, it's hard to know exactly whose fingerprints should have been on them. But even if you just go, you know, with the chalk here and go with the line of demarcation being, you know, right after the 05 season when you know, Luke Canella's departure was negotiated, Chuck Lamar was fired, right. uh, Vince Moly relinquished control, Stu Sternberg took over and just draw that line there. And even though they still were the Devil Rays for two more years, even though they struggled and they lost 101 in 96 games the first two years under Joe Madden, which people forget, uh, you could tell they were heading the right direction. They were doing things right. That's where they made a couple of the trades that paid off later and you know, I did a interview with Joe Madden. There's actually going to be a video on our TampaBay.com website tomorrow. And, you know, he, he has said this before. I think I had this in the paper, too, that the biggest move he felt they made that set them up for the success they had in 08 wasn't uh, Hinsky. It wasn't Percival. It wasn't Cliff Floyd. It was getting Dan Wheeler in the middle of the 07 season. He felt like that was the biggest move, and that kind of set them on the track. Wheeler was the guy who raised a level of professionalism and standards amongst the relievers and a lot of the teams. So, you know, they're really building in that direction, but you're right. I mean, since, you know, they've done some things wrong and then, you know, letting Josh Hamilton go, Pat Burrell, the Chimbeckham draft pick, you know, we can go through a lot of the moves that they made under Sternberg's ownership, Andrew Friedman, Jerry Hunsinger, and, and then Matt Silverman, and, and now Eric Neander. But yeah, it definitely was a different line, a different way to do business. And, you know, Chuck Lamar and that group should get some credit. I mean, the athletes that they drafted, you know, yeah. were such a key part of that 08 success. I mean, Carl Crawford was a football player that Chuck Lamar's people, Dan Jennings and Cam Bonifay, those guys that they decided to basically buy out of a football scholarship to Nebraska, he was going to be like an option quarterback. Turned out to be a pretty good baseball player, four-time All-Star, yeah, a couple of gold gloves. So, you know, they deserve credit for him, B.J. Upton. I mean, Josh Hamilton, that was the right pick. I mean, things went wrong, but he was the right guy to take. I mean, Josh Hamilton versus Josh Beckett based on their talent and Hamilton being able to play every day versus Beckett pinching once every five days. Josh Hamilton was the right guy. It's unfortunate the way that worked out, uh, Baldelli, obviously, you know, with the illness and, and got hurt and didn't get to fulfill his potential. But the athletes that the Chuck Lamar group provided, I mean, they took a chance on James Shields as a 16th round pick, a guy who'd been hurt in high school. He turned out pretty good. So they, they made some pretty good picks. They made the Scott Casimir trade. So they deserve credit for setting the Rays up for success. But certainly the way the franchise has been operated, it has been significantly different under the Sternberg ownership. Yeah, it really has been, and I, I want to talk about that 2008 season in, in just a minute since uh, that, that clearly has been the highlight of the franchise uh, so far in going to the World Series. Um, but just, just kind of, if you can, and, and you know, with as little or as much detail as you want to, some of the stories that, you rem- that, that stood out to you through, through covering, um, you know, what were the Tampa Bay Devil Rays and then, of course, the Tampa Bay Rays, um, the, the players, I mean, you, you know, there's been Hall of Famers come through here and Wade Boggs, and we remember his 3,000th hit, a, a home run. I mean, there's been some, some pretty big moments, and I think, I think what was really interesting, too, and you can speak to this, is that when you talked about how the Rays really have been sort of the Forrest Gump of baseball, they found themselves in some historic situations. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting, and obviously, you know, it sounds it sounds a little cliche, but to say, you know, I've been blessed by the opportunity to cover, 
these guys and Tampa Bay times and, you know, allowing me to travel and then be on the beat for all these years. But yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, some of the things that have happened and, you know, I know I ranked the top 20 moments in, in race history and got, right. a little, got a little blowback on that. Um, I picked the play that clinched the 08 ALCS, Akinir Ramirez sticking on second base for the final out that sent the race to the world series. To me, that was number one. A lot mm-hmm. of people insisted, no, it had to be Longoria's homer, you know, the walk-off homer in game 162 in 2011. Yeah, Wade Boggs' moment was pretty amazing. It was the first guy at that point. No one had ever hit a home run for their 3,000 hit before. And you right. remember that, you know, dramatic and emotional run around the bases he did. And oh, it was incredible. To his mom and then, then getting down on his hands and knees and kiss at home played. And, yeah. and even just the first pitch. I mean, you know, it's – and this is a, just totally a personal humble bra- uh, hashtag humble brag thing here. But I saw the first pitch in Marlins history, too. Went down to cover that game in the first pitch in Rays history. So that's kind of a neat thing to have been at – you know, the very first game of both of those franchises. So, you know, there's been a lot of cool moments. And then you're right, there have been some weird things that have happened. The Rays, you know, were in Boston when the marathon bombing happened. That was pretty mm-hmm. weird. I mean, before the Rays started, I was at the Earthquake World Series. That was pretty weird. Yeah. And actually, one of our colleagues, if you remember, got in the car and, and kind of left me there, actually. <laughs> I do. <laughs> the famous, I do remember that. The famous that. story there, but we have to speak kindly of, of the people that are no longer with us. That's um, right. But, yeah, I mean, just, you know, some crazy things the Rays have been. It seems like they had a run there where every time they went to Yankee Stadium, there was a ceremony, whether it was you know, memorials for George Steinbrenner. Oh, my gosh. They're they part of the biggest Jeter's moments of Derek Jeter's. There yeah. were so many oh. things. Yeah. I mean, it was just – it's it, it was funny that way. But um, they also found a way uh, – and, you know, going – kind of lapsing back into the whole Joe Madden and Andrew Friedman and – you know, they they found their own niche and their way to, to do things different and have really set some trends, I think, in baseball. And because of that, that became sort of a competitive edge. Obviously, the pitching they developed and the defense, but also the shifts and the various things they did from a, uh, you know, just, just from the analytics standpoint. But 2008, I'm not sure anyone saw that coming. I mean, to win the American League and to do it when you're being led by so many young players, especially a guy that didn't start the season in the majors in, in that time was a rookie, right? Evan Longoria. Absolutely. And then, you know, it was a guy in spring training who got sent down. And, you know, at that point we were wondering when we'd see him, when he would get brought up and if he was going to be one of those guys, they kept down until June or so till the, you know, kind of arbitrary unofficial uh, super two date. And then what we didn't know was he'd been in talks with them for a long-term contract that was going to you know, commit him to the team for a number of years, give up some of his, uh, free agency years and in return obviously for very lucrative reward and that deal was in place and then willie ibar who'd been starting at third base got hurt and next thing you know evan langoria shows up and two days later they have a press conference and he signs the first of two uh you know very long-term team friendly deals which i think at the time especially when he signed that second deal a lot of people said and then wrote and talked about and everything else that he would be a ray for life so a little bit of surprise yeah. it didn't end that way but yeah, the Evan Longoria situation, and you know, at the time it seemed like they picked Longoria over Price, maybe in terms of who they were going to sign long term. They ended up obviously trading David Price in right. uh, July 2014 after he won the Cy Young. But I think Longoria, you know, it made sense to invest in him. He was an everyday player. He was definitely a face of the franchise, you know, consummate professional kind of guy. So it was a little surprising the way that turned out, but no doubt he was a key part of that 08 success. Price, he, those, those guys were the pillars of the team. I mean, Carlos Pena in a crazy way, you know, they sign him a minor league contract in 07. They cut him at the end of spring training. They bring him back, but Greg Norton gets hurt. He hits 46 homers and ends up sticking around, and he's a key part of those teams. When they won the East, think about that, Rick. They won the East twice in a three-year period. When they won the East in 08, it had, like, it had only been 
you know, no one else had won it for a while. There was like Yankee teams were pretty good. And then, you know, there were some other teams that were good, but that had been pretty much, you know, a stranglehold. Then they won in 08 and they won again in 10. And that was, I know you could say, you know, getting to and how far you get into the playoffs is a measuring stick, but winning the division for that 162 game grind is pretty significant. Especially in that division and especially against, like you said, the Yankees and the Red Sox were very, very good. At what point in that year of, of 08, Mark, did it really seem like this was possible? Or was it just, I mean, I, I, I've told this story before with Steve. I mean, I've never seen, um, you know, they, there was a Sunday night game against Seattle. And, and, and of course, the whole community was was riveted to to the Rays. But it really did feel almost like a Cinderella-type situation. It did. If, if I think I've got the facts here straight on this. Is they lost seven in a row going into the All-Star break that year. And, and the last three or wow. four was in Cleveland. I remember how bad they played going into the All-Star break. And I think at that point, y'all, everyone kind of thought I did. Everyone else did. Like, okay, that was, that was a cute little story. <laughs> you know, and then they kind of go back to Earth here, and that'll be the end of it. And the big boys will take back over. And, and they kind of got back into it. And they hung around a little bit. And, and that actually, another thing Joe Madden said in that interview, he just kind of reminded me of this, was, yeah, you know, they kind of got the lead back, and uh, they frittered it away again. And it was slipping away. I think it was early August, and he never, uh, never liked to have team meetings because they were total eyewash. He thought team meetings yeah. were not, you know, significant. People didn't listen, and they were just playing so bad that it just pushed him over. And he, his two rules on team meetings were always: he only wanted to do it after a win because he felt after a mm-hmm. loss nobody was going to listen anyway, mm-hmm. and he always wanted to do it on the road because he didn't want to kind of. A little holistic here. Didn't want to infect the karma of their, you know, home office. Basically, they wanted to do it on the road. So they won a game in Kansas City, and he just blistered them and lit into them. And they lost maybe one or two out of the next three, and then they just went on a run there and put that thing in pretty good hands. And then you know, took us to September, and then you had the dramatic Dan Johnson moment where they were about to lose that lead again, and he comes up, flight gets delayed. He's supposed to be in the starting lineup. They scratch him from the lineup which leaves him available to pinch hit, and he comes in and hits that game-tying homer off Papelbon. So you you think back, and as you said at the start of the question before I rambled through this answer, but there was some really good fortune, and there was some you know, really good play, and a combination of everything is what got them where they were in 08. I still think they win the World Series if that crazy uh, weather game hadn't gotten them in a continuation. They were the better team. They were the better team, and, and I know you know. There's been another point that a couple people have raised is think back to that ALCS they had. I think it was Game Five. It was Game Five in Boston. They were like seven nothing ahead, yeah. And they let that lead get away, and they had empty out the bullpen, and I think that kind of cost them. And then Game Six was that real flat game at home where they got beat, which right. set them up into Game Seven. So you know, you could also make a case that had they not let game five get away and won the ALCS in five or even six games, they would have been a little bit better shape going into the World Series too. Right. No doubt about it. Um, well, I mean, that that certainly was, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Dan Johnson, and uh, I'll leave it with the uh, the old race here, is that the other moment that people talked about, you, you picked the Aki Mora um, put out. Um, but Dan Johnson had another big home run that set up game 162, right? And yeah, you, that's the thing. The the amount of incredible moments that was one of the cool things about putting that special section together and that ran in Sunday's paper. Like you say, it's still available on TampaBay.com. But just to, to go back through some of the things and just remember, oh yeah, what about that? And then oh yeah, what about that? Oh yeah, what about that? Dan Johnson, <laughs> they were down to their last strike. I know. Last out, it was bottom of the ninth. He's down to the last strike. That that game I is going to be over. They're going to lose that game. He was sitting up at the clubhouse doing a crossword puzzle, and they're like, hey, he, he, that was a bad year for him. He spent almost the whole year at AAA. He was hitting like 160 in the big leagues, and 
yeah. he gets up there and pretty much like shut your eyes and swing. And he just tucked it inside the pole. And yeah, if it wasn't for that, we never see Longoria's home run and he's never being compared to Bobby Thompson and, and a lot of other mm-hmm. things never happened. Yeah. The iconic, uh, poster and, and, uh, you see the image of Longoria with his hands up going around first base yep. would, would not have happened. Um, Okay, so let's uh, let's talk. Bring it to the modern era now, and and, and kind of finish with this. Is um, you go from from Joe Madden. Well, let me let me ask you first, and we'll kind of button it up on this one. How how surprising was it that that both Madden and Andrew Freeman that that pairing came to an end, and it seemed to come to one where they were related in in essence. That that the fact that Freeman left gave Madden the opportunity to uh, get out of his contract. Yeah, that whole thing, and it's still, I, I don't know, there's still something weird about it, and, and I know I alluded to it, uh, something I wrote the other day, where it seems like the Rays were okay with Friedman leaving, like it was okay, he got a much better opportunity, he got the chance to make a ton of money, good for him, but it wasn't mm-hmm. okay that Joe Madden left, and then it seems like they get treated a little differently, and you know, maybe there's a little bit more of an employer, you know, colleague, employee kind of relationship. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. situation there but yeah Andrew Friedman leaving for this opportunity he did a couple of teams that sniffed around at him for the previous years he left and and you know Stu Sternberg is not a guy who believes in contracts for his front office guys he kind of just treats them at their word and they take him at his word and so you know Friedman didn't really have to get out of his contract I think with Madden you know he had had one more year to go and, and you know he'd been dropping some hints I did a piece toward the end of that season I think we were in Toronto talking to him one day on the bench and you know, he kind of dropped some veiled hints like, you know, he felt like he'd signed under market the last couple of renewals. He'd gotten two extensions previously and, you know, would like to see the compensation kicked up a little bit. And I think they were willing to go to a certain degree there, but he got the opportunity to go to free agency and then we'll never know. I mean, I went back and looked at some of the stories. I did, a, did this book this, this past off season that the Times and the Rays collaborated on a history book and looked up a lot of stuff for that. And you know, it, it, it never really was clear. I mean, the Rays kind of had one view of it, and Madden people had another view of it, how close they really were. Were they a couple hundred thousand apart? Were they a couple million apart? I don't think we'll ever know. And But it was surprising that he left. It was not surprising, obviously, that he got another job right away, and then obviously a good situation went to the Cubs. It kind of ended that curse there. It worked out pretty good for Joe Madden. But yeah. yeah, it was weird. And, you know, I, but yet, you know, I'll also tell you this, Rick, and you know, talking to some of the players after the fact, and obviously it's a little easier after the fact to, to be candid, but, you know, they were saying nine years is a long time and not that anybody wanted to get rid of Joe or anything, but, you know, just that in the life cycle of baseball, nine years yeah. is a long time, and Joe does a lot of things differently. And, you know, there were some there were some guys who were tired of the road trips and tired of the, you yeah. know, the things he did to kind of create the interest, bringing animals or entertainers, and a lot of the same things you're doing in Chicago, and it's working really well there. So it's not like it was wrong, but I think, there was a certain sense that you know, maybe his time had kind of run through. Yeah, it is a long time, and especially, uh, you know, I think it was fresh in Chicago, and we'll see if he can sustain that. But he had a different makeup in Chicago where it was a younger team, and, and his team in Tampa Bay had, had gotten a little older in some, some aspects. So um, th- those are just great stories, and uh, now we want to bring it 
to the modern day. And of course, opening day, 2018, this, this is a, you've had a lot of change throughout the years, as you just mentioned, but this has been one of the biggest off seasons of change, starting with getting rid of Evan Longoria and, and some of the pieces that have, have been here for a while and bringing in some guys as well. Um, so, you know, we know they wanted to, there was sort of this idea that maybe they wanted to cut payroll, but it's still a, a fairly significant, fairly significant payroll. It is, it is, it is lower. Were they trying to clear the deck for younger players uh, or, or just exactly what, what did you sense in terms of the rebuild here? <laughs> I wish I actually knew because I, I probably never actually was able to explain it to our readers either, but it, it was kind of a hybrid thing. I mean, I, when they, I knew they were going to make some moves. I knew they were going to trade some guys. I, I wrote some stories suggesting they were going to trade Longoria. I took some abuse from some of the other media here in the Tampa Bay area that, you know, thought I was making that up or something, but you were right on. I also yeah. thought, I also thought in my mind though, that if they traded Longoria, that was the beginning or that was part of a total, you know, blow it up rebuild. And then I certainly didn't expect him to be the first one. I thought, you know, you trade Odorizzi or Dickerson or maybe column a was probably likely to go. And you, maybe you listen on Archer, but you know, you wait till you know, you're going to go all in on the rebuild. Then you trade Longoria. So when he went first, I thought, boy, this is going to be a total makeover. And, you know, they kept Colome, They kept Archer. You know, and they actually got to spring training before they traded Dickerson and before they traded Odorizzi. So it was a weird thing. The market was weird. The way teams weren't making contract offers to players. Teams weren't willing to talk trades until the free agents were resolved. So it was a weird year. So there was a lot of change. I think it was a hybrid situation. I think they were trying to get the payroll down to a certain extent, which they did. It was about $80 million at the end of last year. It's going to end up being about 67 and a half or so. Uh, here on opening day. So they got that down a little bit. It's a little under last year. At one point, it looked like it would be over. Uh, but they also were trying to clear out some players. And, and I'm not sure. You know, Steven Sousa one was the one that surprised me. I didn't see that coming at all. They said it was, it was an offer too good to refuse. But they've got some young players coming. I think they wanted to mix it up a little and, and change what they had. But, you know, that doesn't make, you know, you still, if you could have re-signed Logan Morrison, I think you would have. And, and, you know, he was going to price himself out of the market. He ended up not getting nearly as much money the way the free agency went. But they've got a core coming. They think at some point this year, unless they unexpectedly are in the race, which I really don't think is going to happen, I think you'll see them transition to some of these younger players. You'll see Jake Bowers. You'll see Willie Adamas. Uh, you'll mm-hmm. see Christian Arroyo, who is the key part of the Longoria trade, the kid who went to Hernando High and has got a really bright future, especially offensively. So I think you'll see them transition to some of those guys at some point this year, like I say, unless they're in a race. And, you know, there's probably, just without looking at it in front of me, eight guys on the team that are either in the last year of their contract on one-year deals or they're headed towards like their last year before they start making big money. I think you'll see a lot of those guys traded by the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, if those young guys come up in the next year, they could really um, change the complexion of this team with with and, and have money to do so if they were so inclined. Let me ask you just a couple more. Um, Evan Longoria, of course, will not be at third base. Matt Duffy will, and Matt Duffy's a guy that Rays fans haven't seen much of since he came over from the Giants. How much pressure do you think he feels? Yeah, I think you could make a case that he would feel a lot of pressure, but you know, being around Matt Duffy, he, he's an interesting personality. He's a guy he gets it. He fully 100% gets it. He knows people are making jokes about who is this guy? Is he the Loch Ness monster? Is he Bigfoot? <laughs> you know, you're never going to see him. He he totally gets it. He's intellectual. He actually loves podcasts too. So I'm sure he is a yes. sports day. He's probably listening Asked right it. now. In fact, and I mean, uh, Steve, we can make sure he gets the clean download and everything, right? Get the one right <laughs> off the control board. But, 
No, I, I think he gets it. So I don't think my point was, I don't think he's going to put that much pressure on himself because I think he gets it. He knows people want to see what he can do. And, you know, here's another thing. Matt Duffy, in a way, is kind of playing for his job because, you know, Christian Arroyo is a third baseman and he's going to come up at some point. Willie Adamas is a shortstop. He can also play second base. They've got Hechevarria is a really good shortstop. So Matt Duffy is in this to reestablish himself, but also to show the Rays, you know, he deserves to be part of their plans for the next couple of years. Mark, is Kevin Kiermeyer now the face of this franchise and as much as Chris Archer pitches every fifth day and Kiermeyer is sort of sort of the constant? I saw an interview with him where he actually talked about, I don't know, maybe being a little more vocal at times if he needs to be inside the clubhouse. Have you looked into those green eyes, Rick? Of course he's Well, I, I, I look away because they're too <laughs> hypnotic. So, I mean, I, I, I can't. I can't. And they I will say that he's my, in, wife's, he's my wife's favorite player. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I think a lot of guys would say that Kevin Kiermaier is their wife's favorite player. There is yes. no doubt about that. But I, I do think he's kind of become the face of the team. And, then, and you're right because Chris Archer, you know, has more time. And I think he probably has a bigger national platform. Yeah. But I, I think Kevin Kiermaier, as far as a day-to-day basis, because he is out there every day, and, and the Rays use both those guys heavily. I mean, you, you can see most of their promotional stuff is around those guys. They had some Sousa stuff. They had a scramble on real quick this offseason. <laughs> but, you know, those are the guys the Rays put out there. They're both good interviews. They're both good talkers. They're both, you know, cooperative with the media, which is a big thing. Sometimes the star players on the teams aren't that way, and, you know, that yeah. kind of defeats the purpose. But, no, those guys are both good representatives of the ball club, and, I do think if you were going to you know, make me pick and say who is the face, I think you would say Kiermaier just because he is out there every day. No more waiting for Evan Longoria to get out of the cold tub. This will be a good thing. Uh, um, <laughs> exactly. Denard Spann or Carlos Gomez, who's the biggest impact of the newcomers? Oh, boy. I think, I think Gomez probably, to me, has kind of the widest trajectory, the widest landing spot of, of what he could be this year. I think he could mm-hmm. be a really good impact player for the Rays if he's into it and motivated and, and, you know, they're keeping in the race and he's fired up about it. But I think also if, you know, he gets bored or he's not happy here, he could kind of become a little bit of a nuisance or a distraction. So Denard Spann's a pretty solid guy. I got to know him a little bit. I did a piece on him last Sunday in the Times of, of just being a local guy and what it's like to play at home. And, you know, he's got a great backstory. You know, he's raised by a single mom. He's got a big charitable foundation. He does a lot of stuff with single moms. Uh, just got married recently to a former uh, U.S. Olympic hockey medalist. They just had a beautiful baby this off season. So he's got a lot going on here and getting a chance to be at home. But as far as potential upside, I think you still have to go with Gomez. And a neighbor, by the way, Denard Spann of one Jameis Winston. Which yeah, at some I asked point him about that. I was trying to pick up some tips for you there, but he said that uh, <laughs> he very politely at one point, explained to me. Yeah. Well, he very politely, Denard explained to me very politely that when you live where those guys live in Odessa, it's not like your driveways are next to each other and you're talking to each other when you're washing the car. You got about an acre each, he said. So you, you're kind of a long distance nod, if anything. That's quite a neighborhood, by the way. Vinny Testaverde's in there as well. So it's a, it's a who's who of uh, Tampa Bay athletes. Okay, we'll wrap it up on this, Mark. And this has been terrific. Uh, it's just the, the, the knowledge and the, and the breadth of information you have here. What can we expect from this 2018 race teams? I mean, in as much as, you know, let's assume they don't have any more Tommy John surgeries, but what are the keys to What are they trying to accomplish here? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, the, the pitching, even without Evaldi, the fact that, you know, Archer, Snell is poised for a potential huge breakthrough. This could be, could be a tremendous breakthrough year for Snell. 
Faria looked pretty good. I mean, some of these young guys, you know, there may be a point of delineation here. They're not going to stick to this three or four man thing all year. If it breaks out that, you know, Ryan Yarbrough or Yanni Chirinos or, or Pruitt or Kittredge, one of them emerges from the pack here or Anthony Bonda, the guy they got for Sousa, somebody breaks through. So I think they still, even with three guys down and Odorizzi traded, they still have some pitching depth they can rely on. They're going to play really good defense. Right about that in today's time, in Wednesday's mm-hmm. time. They're going to play really good defense as far as you know, the ability to catch the ball, the outfield, or all center fielders out there, whether it's Spanner, Smith in left, Gomez in, center, in the right, and then Kiermaier in center. Those guys are all center fielders. Hechevria, I still, I'll defend this argument all day, and people rip me on Twitter for this. I think he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the game. Oh, he I do too. Really good. I, I've never seen a guy play watch. like that. He's so fun yeah, to he's watch. amazing. You know, Duffy's good at third. They've got a pretty good combination. I don't know how much they're going to hit, but Wendell and or Robertson at second are both really good glove guys. You know, Crone and Miller, we'll see how that plays out at first. Wilson Ramos behind the plate. So they should have really good defense. And the other thing they've done is they've kind of gotten away from the home runs. You know, the Rays are always mm-hmm. trying to be different. Everybody else is still trying to hit home runs. The Rays are kind of going back to some small ball here. You're going to see a little bit more contact-oriented approach at the plate. You're going to see them use their speed a little bit more and cash says a little bit more widely, not run into out so much, but, you know, steal in the right situations, go first to third in the right situations, you know, put guys in motion so you can score on a ball in the gap in the right situations, try to maximize their opportunities that way. Well, Mark, you mentioned the 20-year uh, anniversary book. Where can people pick that up? Ah, you can pick that up. Operators are standing by. No, uh, the Rays have it at the team store. By the way, Rick, I know you'll be over at the TROP uh, this weekend, but the job that they did, I mean, we, we ripped the Rays for a lot of things and, you know, mostly deservedly so. I'm sure a couple of times we go overboard, but they've done a tremendous job. We got a tour yesterday and, and this new company, they're affiliated with Levy is the concessionaire and, and runs the uh, merchandise store as well. But they've totally redone the team store over there. They brought in, partnered with almost a bunch of the hot restaurants in St. Pete, all places all the cool kids go. Uh, the Avenue, Moon Underwater, the Park Shore Grill Group. Uh, King's Food Counter, and then they opened up this great space up where the cigar bar used to be called Ballpark and Rec, which is a, a ballpark version of Park and Rec, which is one of the hot night spots in St. Pete right across from our office, uh, Tampa Bay Times office. So they've really done a great job at the TROP uh, for this year, and I think it's really interesting, too. I mean, apart from what happens on the field, but just the upgrade that they've put in in terms of the food, the space, uh, and some of the amenities. I don't know if it's any good, but my favorite new addition is the Rocco Ball Deli. That's genius. <laughs> it was good. absolute it was genius, and I hope he's getting paid. and a couple other things. So, I hope he's getting paid. Uh, Mark, this has been terrific, and uh, boy, if you're a Rays fan and you've listened to this podcast uh, while you're stuck in traffic trying to get to the uh, the uh, opening day, you've had a real treat. Thanks so much, Mark, and have a great 2018. All right, sounds good, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Just great insights from Mark Tompkins, and let me tell you, if if you've not understood and we'll get into this another time with mark about what it's like to cover a major league baseball team i had to do it for a month when mark was uh was out for a little bit uh in one season and joe madden was the manager at that time i actually went on a road trip even and covered the Rays in in baltimore against the orioles their day is so long i mean you know think about a 162 game season and they don't do every game but mark does damn near every one of them um you know you're embedded with the team you go on the road with the team, you uh, have long hours where you're at the ballpark, you know, for a seven o'clock game, the clubhouse opens at three 30. You're there way before that. You're there till, you know, well after midnight. Uh, if there's a day game the next day, you're up in the morning and then the amount of stuff that Mark does, I mean, you're basically writing, you know, a minimum of three stories a day, but now 
as media has changed with not just the podcast, but also the video that you have to do and a lot of radio commitments and, and just different media, um, it's, it's really a, you know, a, kind of the grind that baseball's play. I know it's not physical, but certainly it's mental. And it is kind of physical, too, because you don't eat well. Um, you don't sleep well. I mean, you have to really love what you do. And nobody loves baseball, and nobody does a better job than Mark Tompkins. So we really, we really thank him for that. He's, he really is uh, just one of the best baseball writers in the country, Steve. He absolutely is, and he's got that respect around the country, too. Um, he does. You know, I've worked in baseball in several different markets, and, and I got to travel with the Atlanta Braves for a season. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it is quite a grind mentally more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, all the travel and especially beat writers who aren't on the commercial flight. They're not flying charters like the teams are. They're, you know, covering a game late one night and up at, you know, 4 a.m. at the airport the it's next a great day point. To, to leave, mm. to go to the next city. Um, it, it's a grind. It's, it's a fun, exciting career choice and, and to do, but it is a grind. If you love baseball, there's nothing like it. And I love baseball. I'm still not sure how I ended up covering the National Football League. But the one thing that's neat about it is that every night is a performance. Like, it's, it's an event. You know, people are coming. Thousands of people are paying money to see. It's not practice. It's a game. And, and so from that standpoint, it's pretty fascinating to, uh, to be able to have that, that electricity every single night. And it is. It's the adrenaline rush of, boy, when you're, when you're done with all that, you're, you're, you're exhausted, you're exhilarated, and you kind of are ready to do it the next day. So pretty interesting. What a day uh, in Tampa Bay. There's nothing like opening day in baseball to begin with. But, Steve, on the way home from this opener – uh, that starts at 4.10 p.m. first pitch, you're going to be able to flip it over to Dave Mishkin and listen to him call what is now a, a battle for first place as the Lightning take on the Boston Bruins. Winner of that game will be in first place in the Atlantic Division and have the best record in the Eastern Conference with about five games to go after its conclusion. So a huge game up in Boston for the Lightning um, at right after opening day. Uh, you can't do the doubleheader of attending both, unfortunately, but uh, great sports day. It'll be great uh, entertainment on the way home from the Rays game. It really will. Okay, so now let's give our predictions for the Rays. And I've been, I've been sort of a glass-half-empty guy on them. Well, I really thought what they were going to do, as Mark talked about, it seemed like this was going to be a scorched-earth season where they were going to go, you know, all empty, you know, uh, let's go with the young guys, let's get rid of everybody and sort of start over the way Houston had done a few years ago and the Cleveland Indians. But instead, they're kind of caught in between. But I, I do think – that the second half of this year is going to be far more interesting than the first half. And I can tell you that in covering, and this is baseball, not football, but professional sports sort of, sort of goes this way that like, there's a lot of bad mojo right now with the injuries they've had to their pitchers and they haven't even gotten to the starting line yet. And, and baseball is about a war of attrition. It's about losing spare parts along the way and how many you can lose. Well, they're starting out sort of, you know, with this, a three man rotation. So even though they got some young arms in the bullpen, they're going to try to do some things different. We don't know if it's going to work. What I do know, Steve, is I think that after the All-Star break, maybe significantly after the All-Star break, you're going to start to see the Jake Bowers and the Willie Adamases and some of these guys come up. And I think that's when race baseball is going to get exciting. It'll be too late for them, I think, to make a run. I think they'll be well out of first place. In fact, I think they probably finished last in the division this year. I don't know what the Orioles will do. But I certainly think the Yankees and the Red Sox will be on the top of the division. I'm going to say that they may lose 100 games. I mean, I think it's possible. I'll give them, I'll give them as many as 70. That would be my high-water mark for the Rays this year. Wow, that's pretty low. 
Uh, when I know. I think the betting lines are 76, 77, 77. But, you know, did you see where there. everybody, the, the the biggest take yes. of the under is the, is the Rays uh, 77 wins or whatever? I question whether the Rays have enough offense to compete in the AL East. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think they've gone back to pitching and defense. I think that's probably a better formula for them to compete. But I just question mm-hmm. whether they have enough offense to, to win consistently in the AL East sure. um, to get that done. I mean, I think they've got – some decent hitters, but can they string enough hits back to back to back? Hard to uh, do. consistently to do that with with the type of hitters they have. They're, I think their defense is going to be great. Uh, their pitching is is pretty good, and you know they're they're testing their depths right now um, with with the injuries to Honeywell and De Leon and now Evaldi. Uh, but you know, I just question whether they have enough offense to compete. I would agree. I think you're going to see a lot of low scoring games. You're going to have to try to come out on top of most of them. But it's going to be an interesting year. And it's always exciting. Everybody's O and O. Everybody's ready to get started. And opening day is finally here. So we hope you enjoyed all those insights from Mark Tompkin. And uh, you want to make sure that you check out our podcast. We'll be here to talk about how the race fair on their opening day, of course, tomorrow. Um, and we're glad that you make this a habit. You know, you should do this every day. We're going to have plenty of interviews coming up. In fact, let me give you a tease about Monday's show. Uh, we're going to have the full interview, my sit-down, one-on-one. Uh, exclusive with vice or co-chairman, I guess, Bucks co-chairman Joel Glazer to talk about not just last season, but also the decision to keep Dirk Cutter, the flirtations with John Gruden and how much of that was real or imagined. Um, just sort of all the things that they have coming down the pike as long as his discussion with uh, Jameis Winston and where he thinks that stand with the investigation and how he stands behind his quarterback. You'll hear that. Really interesting insights from Joel Glazer who we get to talk to once a year so um, we want you to uh, also interact with us you can get us on twitter at sports day tb you can reach me on twitter at nfl stroud or online at rstroud at tampabay.com steve and rate and review this podcast where can they do that anywhere you get your podcast whether you're getting them from itunes or google play stitcher tune in uh, soundcloud iHeartRadio, or of course you can always go to tampabay.com slash sports latest episodes there please rate review us give us good ratings if you'd like Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy opening day. Enjoy the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. And for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.